welcome to the Caring Congregation podcast, where we seek to educate and equip pastors, congregational care ministers, or CCMs for short, and church laity to create a culture of care in the church and community. I'm Reverend Joy Dister Dominguez, your host and producer of this podcast, and I'm excited to continue with season five, all about the intersection of care and social justice. If you missed any of the first four seasons, I invite you to go back and listen. There are lots of great topics and guests, and I know you'll find something to share with a friend. In today's episode, I continue my conversation with Reverend Dr. Steve Harper, author of many books, including his most recent book, Holy Love. So this is a two-part series, and this is part two of that conversation. I recommend going back to listen to part one if you haven't heard it yet. So in that uh, part one, (laughs) Dr. Harper sets up part two of his conversation, obviously. And the second part will make a lot more sense um, once you hear of his faith journey. So I recorded this episode with Dr. Harper uh, several weeks ago, and since then, on June 9th, 2022, the Florida Annual Conference of the United Methodist Church met, and 16 candidates for ministry were arbitrarily denied becoming clergy because conservatives were targeting two LGBTQ candidates. News of this harm has rippled through the United Methodist Church. And I'll just be honest, our hearts are grieving. This harm does not happen in isolation and has deep implications for how society views the church. And it certainly affects our LGBTQ siblings and the kingdom of God. These conversations are so timely with advocates and allies articulating and standing up for the harm being done. Dr. Harper gives us language to use. I hope you find this episode with Dr. Harper helpful. He has such remarkable, passionate enthusiasm for social justice, the body of Christ, and for all to know of God's deep love. Take a listen. So what scriptures stand out to you as the most misunderstood scriptures? Well, I think it's chapter three where I talk about the passages and holy love. So mm-hmm. let me, I'll, I, I want to get to your question quickly, but I want to say that one of the reasons the book is the way it is, is because I didn't want to go around any of the passages. I've taken the same verses that the conservatives use mm-hmm. instead of saying, well, you know, I, I don't really want to deal with that one. I don't want to talk about that. one. Holy love deals with every one of them. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that people are going to agree with me. It just means that when I wrote the book, I was going to go through the text, not around the text. <laughs> so um, this is an answer that really goes beyond the book because the book's what, three years old now. Uh, I think that's right, 2019. Anyway, Romans 1, I think, for Christians is the game changer, depending on how you interpret that. and. Therefore, I would say it's the most misunderstood. Uh, And let me start the response to your question by saying it's a complicated text. I have I've read New Testament scholarship across the spectrum of conservative, moderate, liberal. And it's it's a tough text because Paul is writing at the time to a place he'd never been. Mm 
Mm -hmm. He's he's familiar with the Greco-Roman world, but he hadn't been to Rome. And that whole cultural milieu of of Roman and Greco sexuality is is a complicated thing. But let me say this. I think it's misunderstood for some simple reasons. We, you could spend hours on the complicated ones, but the simple reason is if you read Romans 1, 18 to 32, Paul mentions 31 sins, not just one. So isn't it interesting that almost all the time nowadays when you hear about Romans 1, it's just about one alleged sin. Sure. But Paul talks about in the list, he talks about greed. That's one of them. He talks about, get this one, gossip. Wow. He talks (laughs) about rudeness. Mm -hmm. He talks about pride. And so my point is, if you rip one of the 31 out, right from the get-go, you're missing what what got Paul energized in the first place. So that's the first misunderstanding is we we treat Romans one as if it's only about one thing. Now, John Wesley even saw this in his explanatory notes on the New Testament. He, He doesn't even talk about the sexual sin in Romans one, he talks about idolatry. And he says, if, if you stop, worshiping God and make yourself a God, all kinds of things can happen. 31 Mm -hmm. things. And guess what? To this day, I have not met an LGBTQ Christian who's an idolater. So if Roman one is about idolatry, there may be some people we need to talk about Mm -hmm. in the world who act like they're gods and they can abuse women or they can do whatever they want to do untouched. We've had a recent president who feels pretty invincible along that line. Romans one may be in that ballpark, Mm -hmm. but I couldn't find any LGBTQ Christians that were idolatry and had exchanged the image of God for birds and snakes and whatever Paul talks about there. Mm -hmm. That's the, that's the first misunderstanding is, is, is homosexuality is ripped out as if it were the only thing that Paul's talking about. And it misses the point of context of idolatry. And then you have a downward spiral. And I'm not going to go into that unless you want to a little bit, but it, it starts out with egotism and it ends up in a sexuality of lustfulness. And again, see, you can find lustful people sexually, heterosexual, and LGBTQ. But you can also find LGBTQ Christians who are not expressing their sexuality out of lust. So Mm -hmm. you say, well, maybe Romans 1 doesn't paint with quite as big a brush as we thought that it did. So I'll leave it. I'll leave it there because it does get complicated. But I happen to believe that uh, if you go back to the covenant in the Old Testament, sacredness, fidelity, permanency, and monogamy, Uh, any two people can keep the covenant. Mm -hmm. All this happens to be writing about people who weren't keeping the covenant. See, okay. Excellent, excellent. And for laity who feel uncomfortable quoting or defending Mm -hmm. scripture to their friends and neighbors to correct harmful interpretations, what do you suggest? What do they do? Where do they go? 
Joy, I'm going to start by saying after eight years of some of this myself, I would say to that person who'd said to me, you know, I just, I don't really feel comfortable. You know, I'd say, well, first of all, only share with those who are genuinely open. Hmm. There are a lot of people who are just, don't confuse me with the facts. My mind's already made up. So before you even have a chance, you're in a debate mode. And that's not sure. what that person's wanting. That person who's uncomfortable would like to have a conversation. I've been fortunate that I have been able to have some conversations, ongoing conversations with conservatives. Now, they haven't changed their position because of me, but they don't go immediately into attack mode and they don't, mm -hmm. you know, they don't run and jump in a cave somewhere that we, we just talk. Well, why, why that? Why this? Why this? So my first counsel to anyone who feels uncomfortable sharing interpretations is, well, just share with only those that you really feel are open and, and care. Mm -hmm. Not that they're going to change, but, but they aren't going to just assume that everything you say is wrong. See, uh, you can have a real fruitful conversation if both parties believe the others are trying to tell the truth. See, Okay. Now, the second thing that I've begun to do in this eight years is that rather than try to have the conversation myself, that is to try to keep all this in mind and, you know, get all my points and ducks in a row and one, two, three, ABC, all that kind of stuff. I've begun to, to say, before we have this conversation, would you be willing to read my book or someone else's? Now, that's not so I can sell books. Because my, my number one recommendation, and I'll give it here on the podcast so that you can put it into the material, is Kathy Baldock's book, Walking the Bridgeless Canyon. It's, it's broader than holy love. It, it, it looks at uh, the sciences. It looks at, uh, it, it's, it approaches the subject in ways other than biblical. And so I've been saying when people call me and say, you know, I'm just really trying to decide what I think about this stuff. I say, well, I'd be happy to talk to you, but would you be willing to read Kathy Baldock's book first? And then let's talk. Mm -hmm. So that's what I would say to a person who's feeling uncomfortable. Um, part of the discomfort is just kind of the stage fright of trying to remember it and get it right. See, so take that sure. pressure off. Just take the pressure off and let Kathy Baldock <laughs> do the heavy lifting. <laughs> Well, I think anytime you have people that have this eagerness to want to learn and to grow and to understand, even if maybe they have their mind made up, but just to have an open heart, an open mind, just to say, you know, maybe I don't have all the answers. Maybe I don't have this all figured out. Maybe there is another way to understand scripture. And, and I love how you break down, um, the way that you like to teach Bible studies, um, I encourage pastors to, to really look into that as well from an opportunity of the grand scale of the work uh, of scripture, and then to go into it from there. Um, what is it saying? The bigger picture first, how then shall we live? <laughs> yeah. how, how, how do we move forward with this? How do knowing this information? Again, to, uh, this is a podcast, and, and I want it to be uh, not simplistic, but I want it to be simple in the sense of understandable. Um, I don't think anyone would deny that we must be biblical. We, we must, how then shall we live biblically? 
And you say, well, that didn't help a whole lot because we don't see the Bible the same way. No, but people who aren't prejudiced and biased, I mean, we're, we're all trying to be biblical. So I'm going to stay with that. I'm going to say, how then shall we live? That, that's why I wrote Holy Love. I, I wanted to deal with the text. I didn't want to bypass them or ignore them. I wanted to say, look, you can take the seven, six clobber passages, whatever they are, and you can look at them this way. So that's a, how shall we then live? Just stay in, the, stay in scripture. Mm -hmm. uh, the second thing I'd say, which goes back to the creator and the creation, is we want to live lovingly. Jesus said, all the commandments in John 2, love God, love others. Um, and when the church after Jesus began to figure that out, it was the fruit of the spirit. John Wesley says, really, there's only one fruit that's love. And the other eight are, are the fruits of, of love. It's interesting. I think he's right. Mm -hmm. All the rest is what he said. So if, if, if we want to live lovingly, then we should just keep going back to the fruit of the spirit over and over and over in Galatians five. And then, Joy, believe it or not, and this may sound like a hard saying to conservatives, of which I used to be one, I think Jesus undoes the whole thing by saying, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Do you want to be listened to? Well, then listen. Mm -hmm. Do you want to be loved? Well, then love. Do you want to be able to marry the person you love? <laughs> well, do you want to be able to hear a call from God and respond to that call and be ordained? Well, see this, I, I think Jesus would cut through all of the theological fact that we doctors this that cook up and he would just say, could I just give you one sentence? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Do you think Jesus would want people to stand outside churches like Westboro Baptist has done and call people going in and out fags. Two, two weeks ago, right, in Clearwater, Florida, a good friend of mine was, uh, their little group was outside protesting with bullhorns and as people walked into the church, they were groomers and pedophiles. Oh my gosh. Wow. Now, is that what those people would want to be called? No. Well, then don't call anybody else that. See, I, Jesus has an amazing way of overturning my table in the temple, man. I've got it all set up and I'm buying and selling and business is good and everything looks great. And Jesus says, would you want to be treated like that? Mm -hmm. And I say, no, I don't think I would. And Jesus says, well, then don't treat others that way. Wow. That's become a pretty devastating passage for me. Sure. Absolutely. One sentence. Which leads us into this whole season about the intersection of care and social justice and, and why we're taking a, a real focused look on why it matters to care about social justice, care, care outside the walls of the church, not, not a, not a care club for ourselves, right. but caring outside the walls of the church. And
I hope you're enjoying the conversation. There are many more resources on our website, thecaringcongregation.com. I hope that you'll check them out. Also, we have two exciting webinars coming up. The first, July 15th and 16th, 2022, for certified lay ministers to receive specialization in congregational care. This is in collaboration with the Lay Servant Ministry of the United Methodist Church. And October 15th and 16th, 2022, we'll host our fall webinar to train and equip your pastors and laity to coordinate and begin a care ministry. This is also a great training for new congregational care ministers or pastors who are looking to take their care ministry to a whole new level. All are welcome to join us. doesn't matter what denomination you're in or even if you're just curious. You can register on our website and please reach out if you have any questions. And now back to our episode. So why you've given us many reasons. I wonder if you could kind of narrow down just a couple that are are on your heart. Um, So why should people care about the social justice of human sexuality? Well, let me start broadly and then become more focused. And this could apply to any theological tradition, but those of us in the Wesleyan tradition, this ought to almost be a no-brainer in the sense that we are the heirs of social holiness. That's the Wesleyan term. Personal holiness, social holiness. And in social holiness is the means of grace called the works of mercy. Now, Wesley's drawing from the Roman Catholic works of mercy, but he, but he called them the prudential means of grace because he knew if he called them works of mercy, people would think he was trying to make Catholics out of them. Sure, <laughs> so sure. Wesley was just dumb <laughs> like a fox, and he just said, okay, we'll just call them prudential means of grace. But it, it was feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, caring for the sick. Uh, his sermon number six in the standard sermons on the Sermon on the Mount, number six, Sermon on the Mount number six talks about the works of mercy. So we're heirs of that tradition. But then when Methodism got up and running, the general rules, very first general rule, do no harm. See? Mm-hmm. So after that, the question, where does social justice fit into human sexuality? Oh my gosh, I'm living in a state here in Florida that's up to its eyeballs in harm doing with yes. respect to LGBTQ people in general, don't yes. say gay, anti, and transgender people in particular. Mm-hmm. I'm, I am not ignorant or blind to how governments can oppress. So nonviolent resistance specifically aimed at LGBTQ discrimination is, is mandatory. It's it, turning it into a positive. That kind of resistance is loving your neighbor as yourself. I, you say, so why, why are social justice and human sexuality? It's in the second great commandment. Absolutely, absolutely, which, following the general rules, if we take those seriously, every single United Methodist should care, should care that we're the, of the harm is being done, especially I think of the news here, even in Texas um, and in the government of of targeting trans 
gendered persons and their families. And mm-hmm. it's devastating. It's absolutely devastating. And we must speak out. We must, we well, must you, care. You have just made a powerful point. And uh, if I'm ever interviewed again, I may, uh, I may borrow it from you. <laughs> and that is the fact that everybody can do this. Mm-hmm. If you happen to, to do the afternoon shift at a convenience store, you can treat somebody well. You don't have to treat them poorly. I was talking to a men's group and a lawyer came up to me afterward. I'll make it short. And he said, tomorrow is the first day I'm ever going to practice law as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And he said, I've got three opportunities tomorrow. One's a divorce, one's a bankruptcy, and, and a one is an estate settlement. See, you've got an opportunity to do good truck driver, homemaker, butcher, baker, candlestick maker. You just go Mm -hmm. on. Everybody needs to take do no harm, Mm -hmm. plug it in to their neighborhood, plug it in to where they go to work or school and say, what would it mean? Would it, would it mean, for example, if you're a middle schooler, would it mean actually sitting down to the person at lunch that nobody sits with or talks to? See, this is not rocket science. This is doable. Mm-hmm. And even in the context of our Wesleyan tradition, do no harm, do good. And that's where social justice and human sexuality are intersecting a lot these days. Absolutely. So we talked about a few concrete ways that people can be an ally and an advocate. How do we care well for LGBTQ persons? Well, in 2014, when I was uh, the man without a country, I didn't know where I was going, but I just knew I couldn't go back to where I'd been. I came across an interview by Walter Brueggemann. Um, and he said, you know, he's you know world-class Old Testament scholar, and he's an ally, he's an advocate. But he said, I, I don't know of anyone I've ever convinced by exegesis. He said, the way people change regarding LGBTQ people is to have relationships with them, befriend them, Mm -hmm. hang out, go to their meetings, go and you invite them over for dinner. Absolutely. So what can we do concretely? Form relationships. Uh, I have stayed in a more progressive theology because of LGBTQ people who have demonstrated to me that they are devoted followers of Jesus Christ, seeking to love God and others the same way I seek to do that. Mm-hmm. So gender and orientation really are not the pivots. It's the heart. Yes. God heart. As I pray, I have a God heart. The second thing is things are changing so rapidly. You've got to commit to do some lifelong learning. By the way, these are five things I mentioned in chapter four in the book. So if people read Holy Love, they can go back and review them. You got to keep reading. You got to keep paying attention. Things we know about fetal development right now and how long it, uh, it takes for a person after they're born through hormones and what have you to really know what their sexuality may even be. Mm-hmm. Maybe not medically up to date so that you could go into a classroom and lecture on it, but you've got to know people are learning. We're learning things. and. Mm-hmm means learner that's the key word that's what it means it doesn't mean it means to be a learner who follows so we need to be learning and following the third thing is and i said this earlier we are called in our day to nonviolently resist 
doing harm. Uh, we're talking about LGBTQ people today, but that could be anyone who uh, I think right now the Roe versus Wade controversy is the one, I don't know when this will air the podcast, but we're making it on a day when that's kind of center stage. There's a huge mm -hmm. gathering in Washington, D.C. today. So yes. Once you know where you stand, th this is the point I'm trying to make. Once you know where you stand, it's not enough to keep that to yourself. We don't have the luxury now, Joy, of saying, mm -hmm. well, I'm really an advocate. I've had people say that. My first question is, who knows that besides you and me? Mm, yes. Does anybody in the LGBT community know you're an ally? Do they? They're the ones who are saying, I, I don't think there's anybody out there who cares about me. I don't think there's any. Well, you say you do. Well, go find somebody and say so. See, Or give money to uh, to a local or national organization, PFLAG, or uh, uh, here in here, here, you know, in Orlando, the One Pulse Foundation, or just, you know, put your money in, in your uh, life where you're, you say, well, oh, I'm, I, I would never do anything to harm an LGBT. Well, what are you doing to do them good? See, that's mm -hmm. the same question it's not just enough so well oh i'm definitely i'm a nice mm -hmm. every i've got lgbtq people in my family and i'm nice to them i'm not asking you if you're nice to them i'm saying mm -hmm. loving them in the name of jesus that they know it see we say oh i love everybody well do they feel loved when they're around you that's what i mean by nonviolent resistance just stand up be counted and don't mm -hmm. just now let's apply that to the church I think that means that we've got to be a church that offers full access. I've discovered that affirmation is not enough. We've got churches in the Orlando area. You can go on their websites and they say, we, we welcome everyone. Yeah, to sit in the pew and give money. But as soon as you decide you'd like to sing in the choir or teach Sunday school or hold an mm -hmm. office or, or maybe be ordained or, God forbid, get married, uh, they sure. say, well, no, we don't do that. See, affirmation is great, but I know LGBTQ people who feel affirmed and they still feel shut out. Absolutely. So we've got, we've got in the church, we got to use access language, not just affirmation language. And that's, uh, that's what I pray the new United Methodist Church will be about. Can you give me an example of the access language? Well, I think it's, it's going to happen in all sorts of ways, but let me just give you one example. What if a, what if a person is um, um, moving from one community to another and they go to your church in Fort Worth and there are a lot of other churches in Fort Worth and that person were to say to you, Joy, I'm thinking about moving my membership here, um, I, but I'm LGBTQ Will I be able to receive the sacraments? I've heard, I've had, I got an email from a pastor who said, if I knew a person was gay, I would not serve in Holy Communion. Well, wow. well I have this program to bring you the following special announcement. It's not your table, Mr. Preacher. It's God's Amen. Mm -hmm. so let's just shut that one down real fast. Sure. But I, I knew of a church that didn't conduct a funeral for a person. Oh, wow. Because They'd been a member of the church for years, but near the time of their death, guess what? Their partner wanted to be by their bedside, and that's when everybody in the church realized that member was gay. 
Wow. Once the rules gay, they well, you can die with your partner at your bedside, but we won't stand by your casket and have your funeral. Sure. So access, access, access. It, it, it can be, uh, can I teach a Sunday school class? Can I, sure. can I be a sponsor of a youth program? Or I'm mm-hmm. just be written off in a pedophilia category. I mean, sure. th- that's what I mean. Um, now, is that risky? Sure, it's risky. But just think about how many people you've had in the membership roles of your church that you turned loose on somebody that didn't turn out very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, we're writing the whole deal right now with controversies of people who defaulted. The LGBTQ people aren't going to be perfect, but heterosexual people are not perfect. <laughs> sure. Access is access. See, what, what I think is conservatives draw the line in the wrong place. We draw it up front and say, oh, well, if you're LGBTQ, that disqualifies you from everything else. I want to draw a line and say accountability. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If I give you the privilege of X, Y, or Z, then I'm going to hold you accountable to be faithful to that. I'm not going to sure. give you a free Sure. There's only one standard, and that's God's standard, and we either obey it or disobey it. But you don't draw it right at the beginning. You say, oh, well, I didn't know that about you because you're LGBTQ. You can't sing. You can't teach. You can't be a youth director. You can't be ordained. You can't. That's drawing the line before you ever even know the person. Absolutely. So I believe. I love that. And I believe there are so many um, LGBTQ folks that are hungry for this inclusion to, to serve, to be involved. I had, um, a couple, maybe a month or two ago and, and actually it broke my heart. They told me the story that many churches they've visited, they were not welcome. And so now they've started calling before, would I be welcome at your church? And so they did. And, um, um, our admin answered the phone and have said, absolutely, of course. And then I meet this couple that Sunday and I'm able to then point to, to say, you know, we have LGBTQ persons serving in leadership in this church, Mm -hmm. serving communion, reading scripture, that visibility as a pastor is so important uh, for me. And then also when I preach and talk and share stories, you know, language matters um, and not giving heteronormative examples Mm -hmm. is so important to me. I'm planning, I'm planning a, um, a workshop in the fall for, uh, for couples. And I was talking with the husband and wife who are going to put on this workshop. And I said, what, what language are you, what language do you use? How are you talking about it with couples um, and explaining that it was important that we are inclusive to all persons yes. and not giving heteronormative examples exactly. for exactly. Uh, the way that, oh, the husband does this and the wife does this exactly. or exactly. husband. And right there, I think in, in our advertisement for this, for the fall, we need to make sure that we are using the proper language, even just in the advertisement. This is what you can expect. I think you're right. I, uh, back to that question of lifelong learning, when uh, this is probably three or four years ago now, maybe five, um, I was meeting with an, with an Orange County deputy. We were getting together. Well, it couldn't be very far different from an uh, Orange County deputy and a you know, theological seminary professor. But we, we hit it off, so we about once a month we'd have lunch together. So one day I asked him, I said, I'm not asking for a, you know, documents. I just 
off the top of your head, said a lot of times LGBTQ people are identified as pedophiles. What's your, what's your understanding of sexual predators in Orange County? What percentage of the sexual predators in Orange County would you say are LGBTQ? He said, honestly, I don't know. He said, I can't think of anybody right off the bat. I said, well, ballpark it. He said, I, of the sexual predators on our role that have to register, I would say, and this is a guess, 2%. See? Yeah. 98% of the registered sex offenders. Now, that's not a scientific number. That's just a deputy who's doing the best he can to answer mm -hmm. my question. We, we have fallen prey to a theological QAnon, which uh, treats people in categories and groups and puts 100% of the people in that group when reality doesn't do that. Mm -hmm. Part of our responsibility is to say, wait a minute, I don't think that's right. And that's where that lifelong learning comes in. You got to yeah. keep talking to people because. Uh, you said that keyword responsibility. Yeah, we have that responsibility. We have the responsibility, particularly now. And in 26, 27 states, that responsibility is even more acute when some of the highest elected officials in your state are harming people. Yes. This is not absolutely. just you, this is not just the fact that you and your neighbor don't agree. Mm -hmm. This is that the governor of your state is plotting and planning to do harm to LGBTQ people. That's that's serious. Yeah, it is absolutely. What is your hope and prayer for the future of the UMC? What vision do you have? I have been writing on my Obadire blog uh, a series called New UMC. So that's where you can go to, to get the pieces of the puzzle. I'm, I'm adding to that series occasionally. I will simply say today, though, with you in the context of our conversation about LGBTQ, I pray, and I think prayers got to be followed up with work because there's a bunch of work to be done. And then some of our LGBTQ friends are still wary of whether we're gonna do it or not. Mm -hmm. But we have, we have an opportunity uh, that we've not had for 50 years to, to not simply affirm, but to put in the Book of Discipline access to all the churches, ceremonies, ministries, and offices. We can, we can write that in just like we've written other stuff in when we take some other stuff out. <laughs> sure. My hope for the future of the United Methodist Church with respect to LGBTQ people, I'll leave it at that, is that the very people, and I could name some, some of them are nationally prominent people, but my hope is somewhere down the line before I die, I'll hear one or more of them say, we finally got there even when they maybe didn't think that some of us, some of us allies were really going to work hard enough to make it happen. I mean, they liked us. They were glad that we were for them and all that, but they still weren't sure about the United Methodist Church. My, my hope is that in one or two general conferences, those people will say, we finally got there. That's my hope. And we'll all be there together. It won't be that, you know, the heterosexuals did it for the LGBTQ people. This is a joint effort. We move together. It's not one group ahead of another one or 
doing another group a favor. This is the body of Christ, where when one member rejoices, all rejoice, and when one member suffers, all suffer. We're this is an all means all effort, but my hope is we'll all say, well, what do you know? We finally got there. <laughs> I look forward to that day. I am too. So Dr. Harper, how can people connect with you and follow you? Follow your work? Well, the, the easiest way is to start with the Obidire blog. Uh, and you said you were going to post that. Maybe yes, in the- I'll put all that in the show notes. Absolutely. Yeah, you can visit that or you can subscribe and receive everything that I do automatically. It's up to you. I mean, to the person that does it, it's all free. There's no cost to anything. Uh, I'm not adding friends to my personal Facebook page like I used to, because I, I, there's a lot of trolling that goes on on social media. And I just, if, if I don't know the person and they make a friend request, I just don't do it. Uh, there's also the heart sounds uh, blog uh, podcast. Yes. And there's a Facebook page for that. And I haven't, uh, I haven't put any restrictions on that yet because there hadn't been any need to. But I would say Obadire is the place to start. And um, there's also an email connected with that. If people want to get in touch with me directly, they can. Um, Perfect. Well, I'll be sure to list that website. And I recommend your podcast. It's, it's fantastic. I, I really appreciate it. It's given me some great, great insight and great things to think about. Um, Dr. Harper, thank you so much for your time. And I give God thanks for your journey, for your wisdom, your teachings, and your insight into such a sensitive topic, but one that is so vital that we have these conversations. And I appreciate your, your vulnerability, your authenticity to share the ways that that you have learned in this journey. And so thank you. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure to be with you. Thanks for tuning in for today's episode. I certainly hope that you'll take an opportunity to connect with Dr. Harper and his work. Holy Love is his most recent book. Also, his podcast is fantastic. And be sure to share this episode with your pastors, any laity, maybe even just family and friends that are curious and would like to learn more. Be sure to uh, rate and give a comment. It helps with the algorithms for other people to find us um, on Apple Podcast and SoundCloud. Check out additional information on The Caring Congregation at thecaringcongregation.com. Next week, we will continue this series, uh, Season 5, all about care and social justice. And I have so many awesome interviews coming your way. You're not going to want to miss this. This has been so much fun, um, such a passion of mine to bring and elevate other voices um, that are doing such great work in this arena and this area um, of, of kingdom building work. So I hope that you'll join us. Tune in. Until next time, may God bless you and keep you.